DJ Simulationistas, sup, with Dr. D, Dan Raymer, and Dr. J, Janice Palaganis, coming at you from the Center for Medical Simulation in Boston, Massachusetts. So buckle up your mannequin, and let's roll. Welcome to DJ Simulation East to Sup. You're here with Janice Palaganis and Dan Raymer. Sup, Janice Palaganis. Sup, Dan Raymer. So, sup is that on uh, a beautiful Saturday afternoon, uh, we had signed up together to do an improv workshop. Uh, why we did that, I'm not entirely sure, but uh, our boss, Jenny Rudolph, decided that uh, we would benefit from having a, uh, a course in improv. And I had so I much think, fun. I've been wanting to take an improv workshop yeah, forever. yeah. Yeah, I thought it was really fun as well, and I thought there were lots of connections to what we do in simulation. Yeah. So maybe we could talk about that. Yeah, I think that's great. And, you know, I don't know if you remember in Singapore, we had uh, a participant from our um, Institute for Medical Simulation course, and he was an improv person, like really passionate about it. And he would always talk about how improv plays into conversations and what we teach. And it makes so much more sense now. And and yeah, I would love to talk about that. We should be using our proper nomenclature, which is improvisation. And one of the things we learned right at the beginning, which I don't think I had appreciated, was that improvisation applies to all genres of performance art, uh, not just comedy. And so we did spend quite a bit of time doing dramatic improvisation. And if you think about it, much of what we do in our communication in life is improvisation of a sort. Uh-huh. And certainly that's how it applies to simulation. Yeah. yeah, It's kind of funny because as I'm reflecting on what you're saying, I, I, I was less comfortable with the dramatic parts of improv uh-huh. than I was with, you know, I was changing it to a more humorous direction. That's uh, funny if I can use that word because, as you remember, the 10 people in the class all commented, all, all other nine people, including me, commented about how much easier it was to do the dramatic than it was to do the comedy. Uh-huh. Trying to be funny is a non-starter. You just have to be funny and if you think about it and try to be funny it comes out very stilted and well, we I all mean, felt that well no i agree i think it's a it's a block when you start when you go in and you're thinking i need to be funny like you will naturally not be <laughs> right and and i love you know i love how they talked about diana giardella our instructor how she talked about you have to use the dramatic part of the storyline that will naturally make it funny and that i got it was just really kind of dramatizing the dramatic parts that were really uncomfortable for me then uh-huh. <laughs> then taking you know humor and and exaggerating it in a different direction that was that was much more easier to do 
So my sense is that that had a lot more to do with you personally than it has to do with the art form, that you're, you were just uncomfortable Probably. Kind of portraying the <laughs> dramatic parts uh, <laughs> where everybody else in the class was perfectly happy to Go put with their it. lives out there for nine other strangers. And, uh, um, yeah. you know. <laughs> well, I think it has to do exactly with what you're saying, the expectations, because when I walked into the workshop, she asked, you know, why, why are you there? And I was like, well, I want to be more funny. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, uh, yeah, wrong workshop. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, so. So, uh, so I have a question for you. So we we did all of this um, uh, improvisation on Saturday, and uh, I saw parts of you or a, a side of you I hadn't really appreciated before. This kind of discomfort that you um, are talking about, and it made me wonder when you're in simulation and you're asked to play a role in simulation, which in fact is very much improvisation uh-huh. you know we have a rough script for the ESPs the actors uh, uh, whatever you want to call them most of the time you're responding to the people coming into the conversation so I'm wondering do you find that you're comfortable or uncomfortable when you are doing simulation? I think it really depends on, I mean, there's definitely times when I'm uncomfortable, even in simulation, playing any role that's not my role. Uh If it's anything outside the context of the emergency department, I'm not comfortable because (laughs) I just don't know it. I'm not sure if I'm portraying the role the way it should be if it's realistic because I've seen so many times an emergency department simulation and the person playing the role is like oh that we'd never do that (laughs) and so just knowing what that's like and how it could really throw participants off and you know your role as as an embedded simulated person within a a case or a scenario, your job's to facilitate the realism and the experience. And if you're actually creating that in improv terms block where people are like, "Uh uh-uh, it would never happen. That's just not real to me. You know, I don't want to be that person that throws it off for them. Right. So, so, you know, we certainly learned about the rules of improv, for example, that you have to be really clear about who you are and who the other person is. Uh-huh. And I know that's a issue in simulation. A participant comes in, they're sort of confused about who they're supposed to be. Are they supposed to be themselves? Are they supposed to be acting? Are they supposed to be serious? Are they supposed to be treating this lightly? You know, all of those things are part of their role. And sometimes they come into a simulation and you're the ESP and they're not quite sure who you are. Uh Uh, You know, are you the nurse taking care of the patient or are you a simulation staff member who's there to, you know, hold their hand or who are you? And so, one of the rules is in improv is be really clear and explicit about who they are and who you are. And, and I think that that's helpful to me when I'm in a simulation. Oh, completely. Yeah. And, and also, I mean, so the rules of the conditions and not just who you are and who I am, but also where we're at. 
we saw a lot, you know, during the workshop, people not really explaining where they're at and the other person being completely confused, like they had no idea how to go with it. Wasn't that interesting? It's so easy to just, once you say where you are, people, people form a whole world around that. And it's really easy for them to get into that world. If you leave that part out, if you don't say, uh, welcome to the emergency room, then they think they're in a clinic or they think they're in some other location. And so you just have to be crystal clear mm-hmm. about where you are. Mm-hmm. And, and I've, I've found that, you know, we, we try to dress in the appropriate uniform and we put signs on the door and all those things. And yet people are still confused about it when you get to the debriefing. I'm still thinking of you in the skit with the golf clubs and Uh (laughs) golfing. And it's funny because you did such a great job. Like I could really feel like I was on, I was golfing with you guys. Right, right. So one of the exercises we did for our audience here, one of the exercises we did is that uh, the the leader, Deanna, would give us a location and a situation, and we had to then improvise uh, a, a conversation there. So, um, yeah, so we were at a golf course, and it, we were playing golf, but it had to be a uh, really a business conversation. <laughs> and so... The other fellow and I got up there and immediately we decided somehow that uh, that we were uh, standing at a hole waiting to tee off, waiting for the golfers in front of us to move along, and that he was a real amateur and I was a much better golfer, but I was trying to sell him something. <laughs> and so I was really um, tolerant of his gross incompetence on the golf course and had to keep moving, putting the ball back on the tee for him and things like that. So, so, fun. so Dan, I know we're, we're talking about the rules of improv and how they apply to simulation. And as you're talking about Diana and that entire exercise, there's something that I just want to kind of put in our parking lot, if we can talk about it, was if there's anything I really learned from the workshop, it was Diana's role and our role as educators. And there were certain things that she did that I think goes against what we teach, but may in fact be very helpful because I found it extremely helpful um, in my, you know, when I was on stage. So tell me about that. Oh, we're going to detour now? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So what I loved was, you know, you'd be on stage and you're doing your skit with your other person or, you know, your duo or trio. And she is brilliant. Like she clearly has the creative experience of improvisation. She was applying her experience into the workshop by guiding us. She was facilitating almost the entire time coaching and then also stopping us and saying, okay, and now uh, you did one option. Here's the other option. Let's go with this option. Uh And she would say something like, and now you're thinking this. And as you know, when I'm when I'm observing the, the people on stage and she says a comment like that, I'm thinking, Diana, you have in your mind where this should go. That would make it really great. And she's just giving like the corner of the of her thoughts. 
And then they've got, and then she's like allowing this blank space that they can fill, which in our world, in debriefing, we call, guess what I'm thinking questions. And we always say, don't ask guess what I'm thinking questions. But she did the entire time. (laughs) The great thing was she artfully did it by saying, and here's a blank. Like, I think this, she gives like a little bit of her thought. And then she says, but fill it in. So interesting you saw it that way, because I did find that quite frustrating. (laughs) And I I, I thought it was so helpful. I, I, I many times wished she would just come out with it rather than try to get. So there were a couple people in the group who were pretty new at improvisation and they were not very good at it. And they really struggled with <laughs> like coming me. up with with ideas. <laughs> Not like you. There was there was uh, the one one guy was really weak at it, and clearly he needed help. And she played the guess what I'm thinking game, and he never guessed right. And I could feel her frustration, and she kept adding to uh, her guess what I'm thinking to give more hints. And Uh and he he almost never got them. I thought it would have been much more effective if she had just told him what she was thinking and let him try it. And then maybe the next time say to him, you know, you seem stuck here. I have some ideas, but what are you thinking? I I think she could have benefited from our philosophy of not using guess what I'm thinking questions. Well, I love that you just brought up experience levels. Because I do think that, yeah, you're right. I mean, when I, I am thinking back to that moment and, and that was awkward for everyone. <laughs> and so maybe with novice participants, you don't do that. With the very skilled, you know, the people that you and I have discussed clearly have been trained in improvisation, do a lot of improv work, were really talented. She would give a little bit of that and they would, and she would say at the end, you took it somewhere different and it was great. Right. So she wasn't really playing, guess what I'm thinking, as much with those people. She was kind of just stimulating them to come up with other ideas because she didn't care as much that they guess what she was thinking. She just cared that they got unstuck from where they were and took took the improvisation to a new place. And so that's that's what I am learning or had learned um, or am learning as we're discussing this is there is an art form to it. Yeah. And if you do have people who are experienced and you're an educator that's willing to let go of what you truly think should have been done and let them fill in blanks, you could you could actually use you know a little bit of giving your frame without giving your full frame and ask them to fill in the blanks. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And and could come up with something extremely creative together, which she, when she had done it to me, I found it so helpful because I was stuck. And then she would share a little bit of her frame. And then it was like, oh, I could totally take that and run with it. So I thought what she did really artfully, and this definitely applies to simulation, especially in debriefing, was that what what she kept working for is for us to kind of look inward and find our true inner monologue and, is what she called inner monologue <laughs> right what did we really want to say and and we're hiding 
and uh-huh. that we would be much better off if we just said it. And, and I know that that's a theme that we stress in our debriefing instruction to people that we try to get them to, you know, really think about what they, what's their inner monologue, what do they really want to say, and really think about why is it that they're not saying it. Why not just come out with it? Say what's on your mind. It's very liberating. It's very um, important, you know, in, in the context of the improvisation workshop, entertaining to the recipient. But the recipient always, the audience, always appreciates hearing what's deep within you. And so, you know, so we did do lots of exercises trying to free ourselves up to, you know, let what's inside that shows in our body language and shows in our movements and, you know, let that stuff out and come out in our presentation. Similarly, in debriefing, you need to say what's really on your mind. What are you really thinking about? No, I thought that was really interesting. And and one of the first participants that I met was a therapist And apparently improv is a very big thing in what they call IFS therapy, which is internal family systems. And the concept that she was trying to explain to me is that, you know, we're made out of different parts of being. And so improv allows you to visit all the different parts of yourself. Where I see that this is applicable to what you just said in debriefing is, you know, when we're debriefing or when we're in a professional setting, that's one face that we all put on. And you are, you do have this internal monologue the whole time, which is like your kind of true self, right? And I loved her exercises of, you know, what is, you know, pause, what's your internal monologue and allowing us to kind of vent what we're feeling in the moment and any, you know, insecurities or whatever. And then her asking us to leverage those feelings into your actual character. So I thought exactly what you're saying in debriefing. You might have this internal monologue going on and to just pause and bring that to your character. Like, I don't think it's wrong to not truly be yourself in debriefing because you're in a professional setting. You're, you're different. You're different everywhere you are. And, but to leverage some of how you're feeling into who you are in that moment. Yeah, it it sort of reminded me of our advanced uh, debriefing course that that we run where we spend a lot of time getting people to think about what their what their own frame is as a debriefer, like where are they coming from in the conversation? And so I saw, you know, a really direct analogy to her stopping us and saying, what are you really thinking? What's your internal monologue? What are you telling yourself as yourself rather the, than the character that you're playing? And, and I thought that was really, uh, really helpful and interesting because I think that's what makes you a really good debriefer versus just a competent debriefer. The other thing that I learned relative to debriefing is the flexibility and the choices. Like that there are so many choices in improv <laughs> where you can take the conversation, the, you know, the actual scene or whatever. And in debriefing, it's the same. There's so many choices where you can go. And it's it's about making a choice and your best choice possible. <laughs> And, you know, your intuitive choice and to go with it and to be flexible because 
the next person that says something might say something different and might want to take it a different direction, which might be a better direction. And you just have to trust it and go with it. That was really interesting to me because I'm so used to facilitating conversations and debriefing. And here in improv, you have to trust your partner, like where they're going, because there's the role, yes, and I know we're going to go back to roles, which I think is probably the most important, relevant role. I thought that was interesting that, you know, that having to find ways to trust each that, other. So, so true. I think the the yes and concept, the fact that when you're mm-hmm let's say debriefing, even though this was about improvisation, that when someone says something, you have to listen to them and accept what they're saying. You don't have to agree with the content. You don't have to go with the content, but you have to accept what they're saying as their point of view, their offer. They're offering you their thoughts. And so that exercise Uh of kind of going along with the person kind of sidling up beside them and taking the conversation in the direction they're going as opposed to changing the subject and kind of teaching them or, you know, in in the improvisation language, blocking them. It's just only going to be helpful to do yes and and extend the conversation further. And I think it's, you know, I almost think that every debriefing should start with this ground rule because there's all these articles now on what they're calling yes and thinking in teamwork and collaboration. And so I know Bruce Avolio is uh, writing a book. I don't know if it's been released yet, and he has a chapter on that. There are, you know, there are a couple of other articles out there with yes and and teamwork. And to me, debriefing, those skills that you learn how to talk with each other, those are the most relevant that you're going to take back to practice and keep the patient safe. And if we could even just teach yes and in debriefing, allow them to practice it in debriefing, I think that'd be awesome. But, you know, really explicitly saying this is a role in improv yeah. and it helps with collaboration. Yeah, yeah that would be that would be good. The, the other uh, wasn't as explicit as a rule, but she kept saying it is that the choices you make always need to move the scene forward. And, uh-huh. and that's, yeah, that's also cool. true in debriefing because I've sat there listening to others. I've listened to myself kind of get stuck in a loop where you're talking about the same thing and you're getting repetitive and you're not helping to move the conversation forward. And in our sense in debriefing, often forward is trying to come up with some generalization or application where what has happened in the simulation will inform you to do something different in the future. And so I, I see it as, as one of the real shortcomings in debriefings that don't go so well is that people don't don't think about gee my job here is to move the conversation forward and and so i thought that was very helpful even people who were really experienced in improv uh deanna had to stop them sometimes and say you're stuck you're not moving this forward what can you think of to take this conversation to kind of the next level and if it was comedy uh-huh. Sometimes the next level was something outrageous, but even in the dramatic scenes, moving it forward was coming up with a 
new way of looking at the issue that was on the table. And I, I thought that was uh-huh. really helpful and really analogous to what we do in debriefing. Yeah. And the other thing she pointed out with, you know, making choices and making choices that move the scene forward was the play on conflict and the play on status change. Yes. And I love that particularly with interprofessional education, you know, asking, you know, giving each other time to talk, the different professions, and giving them that, you know, equality and status in the conversation. And then also, and I think different perspectives add a natural conflict, but not conflict in the negative sense that we know it, just a different perspective. And I think that makes conversations interesting. Wasn't that fascinating the, that in the improvisation, if the status of one of the characters stayed the same and there was a, there was a status imbalance, the the scene went nowhere, and it right it was, it was really boring. And as soon as <laughs> that person with the high status addressed the other person and gave them some status, the scene moved on. And, and uh-huh. I can see what you're saying that in interprofessional uh, debriefings, if you as the facilitator don't give status to people around the table then you'll be stuck. Or it'll be boring. boring. (laughs) Even worse. (laughs) So when it's boring, try to look for who's not talking and go there. Give them some status. So so Janice, (laughs) I guess the big question is, um, you want to do another improv workshop? I totally want to do another improv workshop. I I think it's so fun. I mean, I I even did a, a few skits with my kids, and it was hilarious. Like, we were just... And it's just so interesting how creative you get. I pay attention to it more now. So as I was out at my party yesterday, I was really paying attention to behaviors and, um, you know, and how to personalize them. So it just, I, I, I definitely enjoyed it. Would love to do it again. Fantastic. Me too. I think we could become improvisation junkies uh, if we're not careful. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Janice. See you at the All next right. workshop. Oh, you know what we should do? We should do there are there are I don't know if there's workshops on it, but there's a lot of work on jazz improvisation and music improvisation to teamwork and collaboration. What do you think about that? Uh uh, uh, <laughs> uh DJ Simulationistas. What's up? Is brought to you by the Center for Medical Simulation. Find out more about CMS and learn about our simulation instructor training and course offerings at www.harvardmedsim.org. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.